everybody. My name is Pastor Thomas Rich of the River of Life Christian Center. Uh, we have with us um, uh, Pastor Lester Hayes uh, from Tallahassee, Florida, Pastor Michael Ellis from uh, Dallas, Texas, and we have a whole group of believers with us from right here in the D.C. metro area and all around the U.S.A., and we're, we're grateful for each and every one of you who have joined to be in with us tonight. I just ask you if you would bow your heads as I offer our opening prayer. Father, this is your word. These are your people. And Lord, I am your servant. I yield to you tonight, Lord. I, I know what I have to do. But I yield and ask you to simply deliver what you have God, that as this word goes forth, that it will accomplish everything that you intend for it to accomplish. Uh, we thank you that you loved us so much. Not only that you gave your son, but you gave your word. Uh, his name is Jesus as well. We just bless you for it, and we thank you for it. And now as we go forth, come and do your thing, God, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, welcome aboard, everybody. Um, <clears throat> as you know, we're continuing on the teaching under the title, The Names of Jesus. And the title that we're going to be working from tonight is found in John chapter 11 and verse 25. And <clears throat> in the King James, it reads, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I'm sure you've already extracted the name. Resurrection and life is what we're going to be working with. I'm going to read that same verse from a couple of other translations. And then as we go through this study tonight, uh, unless I tell you otherwise, all of the readings throughout the study will be from the Amplified. But right now, John 25, listen to it from the Living Bible. Jesus told her, I am the one who raises the dead and gives them life again. Anyone who believes in me, even though he dies like anyone else, shall he live again. And the other translation I want you to hear from is the Message Bible. Uh, in uh, John eleven twenty five, in the Message Bible says, you don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. May God bless you and bless the reading of his word. Amen. So tonight, family, uh, the, the name for Jesus is Resurrection and Life. Uh, some of what I share, in, especially in the early stages, may be very fundamental. But I don't want to assume anything. I'm just going to start with the basics and we'll work forward from there. I typically try to start with a definition. And the word resurrection means rising from the dead or coming back to life. And when folks talk about the resurrection, usually they mean the raising of the crucified Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, 
to eternal life. Uh, that name, the resurrection, as described by the Apostle Paul, shows that Christ's resurrection was essential for anyone to have hope of eternal life. And in order to support that, I'm going to direct your attention to First Chronicles, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to read verses 14 through 18. And as I said, unless I tell you otherwise, our readings tonight will be from Amplified. Verse 14. And if Christ has not risen, then our preaching is in vain. It amounts to nothing. And your faith is devoid of truth and is fruitless, meaning without effect, empty, imaginary, and unfounded. Verse 15. We're even discovered to be misrepresenting God, for we testified of him that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise in case it is true that the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is mere delusion, that is, futile, fruitless, and you are still in your sins under the control and penalty of sin. And the last verse from um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 is, that I'm going to read is verse 18. And it says, and further, those who have died in spiritual fellowship and union with Christ have perished are lost. Well, what Paul is doing, family, is uh, he's validating, he is affirming, he's um, helping us know of the certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ's death and resurrection made possible, family, the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit and also of life. Let's look a little bit further in the first Corinthians. I'm going to uh, chapter 15. We're going to read verses 3 through 8. Again, Paul is the writer of the chapter. But I want you to just kind of listen. Uh, as we read through these verses, we're actually, I believe, going to extract from them the, the actual central theme of the gospel. But I'll point that out as I go along. First Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I passed on to you, first of all, what I also had received, that Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for our sins in accordance with what the Scriptures foretold. Verse 4. That he was buried that he arose on the third day as the scriptures were told. I'm going to stop there for a moment because I just said to you that uh, in this chapter, in these verses, you see the central theme of the gospel. So I'm going to drop that in right here, and then we'll go down and read verses 5 through 8. Uh, the central theme of the gospel is found in, in the verses 3 and 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, which is a key text for all of Christian apologetics. And the three most important points are this. 
Number one, Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture has said. Without the truth of this message, family, Christ's death was worthless. And those who believe in him are still imprisoned in their sin and without hope. And, and by the grace of God, all of us have been released for our sin. Why? Because Christ died for us. However, Christ, as the sinless Son of God, took the punishment of sin so that those who believe can have their sins removed. Uh, where, it, where it refers to uh, the scriptures, according to what Paul was writing, Actually, he was talking about the Old Testament prophecies about what Christ, who Christ would be and what his assignment would be. So I'm going to give you an example of that before I continue in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, if, if we go to Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, you're going to get a, a preview from the Psalms. In, in verse 8, it says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Verse 9, therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory, that is my inner self, rejoices. My body, too, shall rest and confidently dwell in safety. Verse 10, for you will not abandon me to Sheol, the place of the dead. Neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Verse 11, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Um, he's talking about uh, our Lord and Savior being buried, uh, dead, but also promise of the resurrection. Uh, two more verses, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. Uh, you all know it very well, but I'm reading it from the Amplified. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquity. The chastisement, needful to obtain peace and well-being for us, was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has made to light upon him the guilt and the iniquity of us all. Amen, amen. In other words, y'all, Christ's death on the cross was no accident, and it was not an afterthought. It was a part of God's plan from all of eternity in order to bring about salvation of all who believe on his son, Jesus Christ. So I said there were uh, three points that I, I think really helped uh, uh, draw out the gospel message. And the first point that I mentioned is that Christ died for our sins. And I just gave you some Old Testament uh, pro prophetic uh, uh, descriptions of the fact that he was going to do that. The second point 
is that he was buried. And, and the fact of Christ's death is revealed in the fact of his burial. Listen, tons of folk across the ages have tried to discount the actual death of Christ. But Jesus did, in fact, die and was buried in a tomb. Uh, he, he could not be called the resurrection and the life if he had not been buried, died and been buried in the tomb. In order to be resurrected, he must have both been dead and buried. So that's the second point. Uh, we know that he died and was resurrected, but uh, he was buried, and that had to occur. The third point that uh, validates the gospel message, he was raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture has said. Uh, Christ was permanently raised, y'all. He was raised forever. His father raised him from the dead on the third day, as indicated in the gospel. All of us know that he was buried on Friday, but he got up on Sunday morning. And even his being raised on the third day occurred according to what was noted in the scripture. So these three points are in 1 Corinthians 15, literally, verses 3 and 4 are literally pointing us back to the, the truth of the gospel message. Watch this. Uh, here's, here's further evidence. Even Jesus spoke of it. Um, he quoted the prophet Jonah in Matthew 12 and 40 uh, to show the connection to the three days as prophesied in the Old Testament. Matthew 12 and 40, he said, For even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of, and Amplified says, the sea monster. Many other translations say the great fish. Uh, the King James says the whale. But he said, For three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What are we talking about? The fact that not only was he did he die, but he was buried in the grave for three days. That had to occur for there to be a resurrection, y'all. Uh, he was quoting out of Jonah 117. And that's what Jonah says in uh, Jonah 117. It says, Now the Lord had prepared and appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There are several other uh, Old Testament references I could point to, uh, but I've got a lot of scripture I'm going to go through with you tonight. So um, I might make mention of them. You can go back and look at them if you like. Psalm 16 verses 8 to 11, and all of Psalm 110 would also validate uh, the, the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ also. I'm going to continue in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8 now. Uh, verse 5 says, And also that he appeared to Cephas, and you know that uh, Cephas was Peter, uh, and then to the twelve. So what are we seeing? He was resurrected, and after his resurrection, he appeared to Peter, 
or as the Amplified refers to him, Josephus. Verse 6 says, uh, oh, and then verse 5 says, after Peter, then to the 12. Uh, and I might mention to you here, um, if you were to do a study about that, most of you already know that one of the 12 had hung himself and died. But, uh, and, and, you know, when you, you do a study of, of verse 5, and you're thinking, uh, the question that I had certainly was, well, why is it still referred to as the 12? They had not put Matthias in there at that point. But uh, a lot of the readings that I, I looked at suggested that there, it was a contextual uh, thing, the fact that there always have been 12 apostles and that there was yet going to be one that would replace him. And so... Uh, they're suggesting that this is part of why Paul in, in this verse is still referred to them as the 12. I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. I'm just throwing that out because he did use that description, and I wanted to know the answer. The answer goes can go on and on and on if I go through too much of it tonight. But that's part of the description that I have read for it. Verse 6. Then later he showed himself to more than 500 brethren at one time, the majority of whom are still alive, but some have fallen asleep in death. Again, this is Paul writing, and at the time that he was writing this, he was still saying the majority of that 500 who witnessed him were still alive to tell the story. And, and so this was authentication that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. He showed himself to Peter, to the 12, and even to the 500. And verse 7 says, afterwards he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Verse 8, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one prematurely and born dead, no better than an unperfected fetus, among living men. This is Paul talking, and of course, many of you know the story of Paul and the Damascus Road experience. And so he said he appeared unto him as well. So uh, let me just drop this thought because there's always going to be people who say that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But in my opinion, Paul clears this up by assuring us that many people saw Jesus after his resurrection. Uh, and Peter saw the resurrected Jesus. The 12 apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. The more than 500 believers also saw the resurrected Jesus. James saw the resurrected Jesus. All of the apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. And finally, Paul himself saw the resurrected Jesus. So uh, I, I'm... I'm uh, suggesting to you that the resurrection is more than just a historical note. It is a historical fact. And I would encourage you, don't be discouraged by doubters who deny the resurrection. Be filled with hope because of the knowledge that one day you and they will see the living proof when Jesus Christ returns again. So <clears throat> the name, the resurrection and life 
Paul has given us a powerful illustration. He even drew uh, back from Old Testament description so that it would authenticate what was being recognized at the time that Paul was writing this. Now, here's some really good news, y'all. Embodied within Jesus is the means to resurrect sinners to eternal life. I don't know about y'all, but that's good news to me. Just as he was resurrected from the grave, when we make Jesus Lord of our life, our sin is buried with him. We are resurrected to walk in the newness of life. Amen. Uh, it's 825. I'm about to start into a part of this that definitely I won't finish tonight, but I'm just going to uh, give you a, a, a little preview to what we're going to do next week. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to tell this story from the perspective of Martha and Mary. So um, this begins in John chapter 11 and verse 20. This verse I'm reading from the King James. And it says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was still in the house. Family, some commentators and scholars suggest that uh, she was the oldest of the two ch sisters, primarily because culturally she seemingly had management of the house. Uh, and, and so I, I couldn't find anything in the historical document that said that she was certainly <clears throat> the older of the two. But according to their cultural experience, she was the older of the two because she had management of the house. Let's drop over to Luke chapter 10 and verse 40. And this one I'm reading from the Living Bible. Uh, I, I like the words here. It says, but Martha was the jittery type and was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, sir, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her, come and help me. In other words, y'all, Mary was still in the house. And again, the, com the, the commentator surmised uh, that, that Luke is making this statement to convey the idea of Mary's sorrow and distress because culturally during that time, uh, mourners customarily adopted the posture that Mary was in as a means to express their distress, uh, their grief. Uh, as a matter of fact, they said that their grief would typically render them immovable. And that was not uncommon. Um, if we were to try to verify that that was possibly why she was in the house, if I looked at Ezra chapter 9, Verses 3 and 4 from the King James, this is what Ezra said about it. He, he said, and when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and my beard and sat down astonished. Then were assembled unto me everyone that trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I was astonished, astonished, astonished 
until the evening sacrifice. In other words, kind of like Mary. Uh, there was just nothing that he could do. He was absolutely overwhelmed in his grief. You know, one of the songs of grief during that time was they would rip their garment. They would tear their mantle. They would pluck the hairs off their head and their beard, which was an indication that they were in great distress. Psalm 137, I'm going back to the Amplified for this one. Uh, verse 1, by the rivers of Babylon, there we captives sat down. Yes, we wept when we earnestly remembered Zion, the city of our God, which was imprinted upon our hearts. What was happening? They were in grief, y'all. They were thinking about their, their hometown and what had happened there. And it says they wept and they sat down. They couldn't move at, at, at the consideration of what had happened to their hometown. John 11, 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then a little while later, Mary spoke the same words uh, to Jesus again. But this time, John is telling it in chapter 11 and verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm going to close on uh, the next couple of verses here. John 11, verses 22 and 23. This is the New King James. <clears throat> and I, I love where we're closing because it will give us a foundation for the next part of this. John 11, 22 and 23. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I'm going to close right there, y'all, and we'll pick back up next week. There's so much to this name, resurrection and life, and I, I think um, I, I needed to talk a little bit about this experience leading to the resurrection of Lazarus because I'm going to be showing you the difference. Uh, I'll be giving you remarks and, and demonstrations next week on the difference between Lazarus' resurrection and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me simply close by saying to you, because of the resurrection of Jesus, y'all, we have liberty, we have freedom, we have hope. We have been delivered from the bondage of our sin. Uh, Jesus performed something miraculous, and it demonstrated who he was to uh, Lazarus' sister and to the people that were there. But he demonstrated something far more when he got up from the grave. We'll get into that on next week. We're going to close right there. I'm going to simply say to you, you can 